So if you need a Bible, Leon's passing them out uh, in the back. Um, my name's David, for those of you who haven't met me. Um, so I'm just going to pray really quick. <laughs> um, dear Lord, uh, I pray that you would uh, fill me with your words and uh, that you would speak to our body uh, through me this morning. I pray that your name would be exalted above all. All right. Um, The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. Um, So this morning we're going to be talking about um, Jesus Christ um, in our ongoing series on Christology. The study of Christ and the theology of, of what it means that Jesus came into the world lived a life among us, died and rose again, um, and now sits victorious on the throne. Um, and so today we're talking about what are called the offices of Christ. Um, uh, Christ was a, Jesus was a prophet, a priest, um, and a king. Um, so we're going to kind of break those down. Uh, the central question um, that we're going to be answering uh, this morning is, how does Jesus fulfill um, the Old Testament covenant? Um, How does he fulfill the needs of his people? Um, And so I want us to come away with kind of three main things as we think about prophet, priest, and king. First is, Jesus Christ is the final and full revelation of God. Um, And his revelation motivates us to go out and proclaim his word to the nations. Um, Second is, uh, Jesus Christ meets our need. Um, and he has sacrificed himself for us um, so that we can come uh, boldly into his presence um, with confidence, enter into the presence of God. Uh, and that motivates us to live a life of reckless abandon, of sacrifice to him, um, uh, not motivated by our own desires. And then third is he has risen um, and he is victorious and he sits on the throne uh, and we reign with him uh, as, as believers, and, and as such, uh, we're motivated to seek the transformation of our community and other communities, spiritually and physically, um, as we go out. And so we want to see the, the renewal and the restoration of, of all things, um, but starting with our own community here in the local church. So, um, so I'm going to start just kind of breaking down uh, the way that we're meant to be. Um, so if you think back to our series in Genesis, um, which we did over the last year and a half or so, uh, Jesus, or, uh, human beings were created by God um, to be in relationship with him um, and, and placed in the Garden of Eden. And um, I kind of broke it down like this. It's, it's in a sense, an artificial uh, uh, breakdown um, because they're all kind of the same thing. Uh, but I break it down this way because 
um, as as we go through kind of some of the Old Testament, we're going to see that that as God renews these relationships, he does it by breaking it into three parts. Okay. Um, and so first is we know God and are known by him. Okay. And so, so the Adam and Eve were naked in the garden and vulnerable before God. And he talked to them directly. Um, the second is relationship. God was with them in the garden and they were in relationship. Um, and they worshiped him. They sacrificed through their labor and they, they, they prayed. They talked directly to him. Um, and then the third is, is, is rule. Uh, if you think about uh, God ruled over creation and over human beings and they submitted to him. And the, the other part that's not really up here um, is that God and um, men ruled creation together. Um, so we were, as human beings, granted sovereignty um, over creation uh, to steward it for God's purposes. All right. And then sin. Okay. So, yeah. So first time I've ever done this. So it's a big step. Okay. So, <laughs> so sorry. Um, sin. And sin blocks everything, right? Sin becomes between us and God and divides us from God and divides us from each other. And so, so human beings, we're no longer able to interact directly with God, no longer able to receive his revelation, okay? Um, and Romans 1 actually breaks this down really well. So they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, okay? This is the, the heart of the sin, Okay? Um, and they exchanged his glory for images re- resembling mortal man. Okay, so they took up idolatry and they gave up the presence of God for, for images made to look like other things. They worshipped and served the created things rather than the creator. Um, and so God gave them up to a debased mind. Right? He said, okay, you're given over to sin. And they did not honor him as God. Okay? They did not submit to him as God. And then this isn't really in Romans 1, but it is in Genesis. So it's clear that they were scared of that openness and vulnerability with God in the garden. All right. So, um, wait, let's go back. Okay, so, so here we have a situation where human beings are separated from God um, by their sin. Um, and, and have no real way to get back to God. Okay, so we see clearly uh, in the Bible that sin separates us from God and that we cannot overcome it. We cannot do enough to overcome our sin. And so, so God comes and enacts a plan of restoration for human beings. Okay, um, and we, we went through all of Genesis, and if you look through Exodus, God comes and says to his people, come out, I'll give you the promised land. I'll give you a land flowing with milk and honey. I will be your God. You will be my people. You will follow me, and, and we're going to do something great. Okay? Um, so the Lord said, I'm going to come to you in a dense cloud so that people will hear me, speaking with you, and will always put their trust in me. And God, Moses told the people what the Lord had said. And then in the next chapter... When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain and smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed a distance and said to Moses, speak to us ourselves. Don't let God speak to us. Okay? Because we're afraid and we can't come directly before God. Okay? And so what God did um, is 
he instituted the office of the prophet. Okay? Um, which allowed God to give his words to human beings. Now, what it didn't do, which you notice, it didn't get rid of sin. Right? And it didn't allow human beings to interact directly with God. Um, all it did was show people what it would be like to interact directly with God. Okay? To reveal the word of God to the people. All right? And then... Um, so the role of the prophet is to speak God's word and reveal God to his people. Okay? Um, oh, yeah. Okay. So, and then through this, um, there's actually a promise. Okay? Like I said, it's not enough. Right? So the prophet, office of the prophet isn't enough. There's no, no direct interaction. Okay? But God does promise very early on. He says, I'm going to send a prophet that's going to fix that. Okay, I'm going to raise up a prophet like me from among your brothers, and you must listen to him. He promises the Christ, okay, the Messiah, to come and be the final revelation. Okay, there's going to come somebody that you have to listen to. All right. So, then, you know, God comes and says, I'm the Lord your God. This is the Ten Commandments. Who brought you out of Egypt? You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven. Basically, you should worship me and me alone as God. And a few chapters later, the people go out and make a golden calf. And they say, these are your gods, O Israel. And so there's immediately this perversion of the way that God intended us to worship him. So we are no longer worshiping God. Okay. And so, so what God does is he institutes the office of the priest. Okay. And what the priest does is the priest comes before God and makes sacrifices for the people and worships for the people and prays for the people. But again... It doesn't get rid of sin. Okay? There's no direct interaction between human beings and God. Okay? There's no... Uh, we, we can't come before God. And so, in the Old Testament, I mean, we've talked about it a little bit in, in previous sermons, but the priest would come before God and once a year would make a sacrifice for himself and then enter into the Holy of Holies uh, with, you know, a bell and a rope tied, tied around his foot uh, it just in case, you know, he died because he hadn't made enough propitiation for, you know, his own sins. And then he would walk out. You know, he'd offer a sacrifice and walk out. And that was the extent of the way that people worshipped God, right, directly. Um, and that was the extent that God entered, people entered God, God's presence. Um, so the priest's role is to represent the people before God by offering sacrifices, prayer, and praise, and uh, worshipping God for the, for the people. All right. So they offered sacrifices for the sins. And they entered into God's presence for people to worship God. And they prayed and spoke to God for the people. Okay. And so again, we have a promise of something better to come. In Isaiah 53, Isaiah says, God says, Surely he, was take, he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. And by his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Um, so God comes, and he promises a better, a better alternative, basically. Um, he, he comes and says, the priests aren't doing anything for you in reality, right? The shadow of the old covenant could not save people from their sins. It could not offer 
forgiveness. It could not offer propitiation for sins. Um, the only thing that it could do uh, was, was model for people what it would be like to be in direct relationship with God and model to people what it would be like to have their sins forgiven, to have a sacrifice for their sins. Okay? And so Isaiah says, but there's going to come someone who will forgive your sins. Okay? Who's going to take up your iniquities and die for your sins. Um, and the punishment that he bears will bring peace on us. Okay? And that peace means we're going to be able to interact directly with God again. And then the third thing is uh, basically the office of king. Um, if you faithfully obey the voice of God, being careful to do his commandments, I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth, and all these blessings shall come on you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. So basically God says, let me be your king. Let me be your judge. Okay? Come to me. I will have authority over you. And the people say, no, we don't want you to be our king. We want a king. All right? Because, because we want somebody on earth. Um, and again, there's no direct submission to God. Okay? Now, I, I mean, God rules over all creation and has since the beginning of time. So I don't want us to forget that. But as far as like, the direct rule of human beings, we're still living in sin under the old covenant. Okay? Um, now, with these three offices, I don't want us to lose sight of the fact that we're still, if we're not redeemed, under the old covenant. Okay? So, so we're still living in that life of sin. Um, we aren't. People are. So the role of the king is to exercise God's authority over God's people, to reign over and steward creation, and to uphold God's precepts, and to maintain justice. And again, there's a promise of the fulfillment of the office. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. Jesse's the, the father of David, the first king. And from his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and of power, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide but what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. And he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness, the sash around his waist. So there's going to come a king. And he's going to be righteous. Okay? And he's going to rule us with righteousness. And he is going to uphold justice. So, let's talk for a second. Just This is kind of a brief overview of the Old Covenant. I know I haven't done it justice. I haven't gone you know, fully into all the intricacies and everything. But I hope that we have a basic understanding. And the insufficiencies of the Old Covenant. Sin remained, and there's no reconciliation between God and his people. Okay? The basic insufficiencies of the Old Covenant. Okay? The Old Covenant provides a shadow or a model of, of how we can get back into right relationship with God, but it doesn't actually provide a path because it's dependent on human action. Right? The law is dependent on human beings following the law, and since we don't follow the law, we can never be saved under the law. Okay? So, for the office of prophet, there were false prophets who spread lies. Okay? Sin remains. Um, and then the other thing that we saw in the first uh, uh, chapters, the word was written on paper, but not, not in the hearts of men. 
okay? Not in the hearts of, of us, okay? Um, we're going to see that Christ fulfills that by being written on our hearts, by literally living in us and with us and through us um, in, the, in the world. And so we are, um, the, the word, Christ, is written on our hearts, the priest's earthly sacrifice, and I, and I talked about this, but could not review, remove sin. They cannot remove sin by themselves. Okay? Um, they can only offer intermittent atonement, um, and even that is insufficient um, because it doesn't totally remove sin. Okay? Um, and, and the people cannot enter into God's presence. Okay? People, other than the high priest, never entered into God's presence. Okay? And even God's presence here on earth was a shadow of the heavenly realms, right? The shadow of God's throne in heaven. Okay. And then kings, kings oppress the poor and pursue their own gain. They're selfish, just like every other human being. Okay. They neglect the lowly and do not pursue justice. Um, and they seek their own kingdom, not God's kingdom. Okay. So, so we're going to see that Christ becomes the king who, who doesn't do those things and who does pursue justice and seek good for the poor. Yeah. There we go. So, the main passage for this morning, um, and I really struggled to come up with a main passage, but it's basically going to be the book of Hebrews. Okay? Now, we're not going to read the whole thing, <laughs> but we're going to kind of make a trail through it. All right? so, uh, so, Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our forefathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Okay? So, one, he has spoken to us by his son. Okay? The final revelation. Whom he appointed as heir to all things, through whom he also created the world. The son is the radiance of the glory of God, the light of God entering the world, and the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power, and after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So Hebrews is a book about Jesus. Okay? And it's basically a book about how Jesus is greater than everything else. Okay? Um, Jesus is the best, basically. Um, and it's a long uh, kind of rallying cry Put your faith in Jesus. And it's written to the Hebrews um, who were struggling. Who is Jesus? Okay, the, the Christians, the new Christians in Jerusalem, is Jesus really necessary for our faith? Okay, um, do we have to believe that he rose from the dead, um, that he came to fulfill the old covenant and all these sorts of things? And Hebrews walks through and speaks directly to the Hebrews. Here's why Jesus is the best. Here's why Jesus wins. So we see here, and this I want you to see when I have... Like, this is going to be the three, three offices here as an introduction. He lays it out right at the beginning. First, Christ is the exact imprint of God. So he's the final revelation, the prophet. Okay. Um, second, he came and made purification for sins. He offered himself as a sacrifice of atonement so that we can worship him. And third, he now sits alive at the right hand of the God the Father. Okay. He reigns now. Okay. He is the king. So how does Jesus fulfill the role of the prophet? So Hebrews 1 kind of goes into why Jesus is, is better than the angels. Um, and, and Hebrews 2 starts to introduce uh, Jesus. And then Hebrews 
3, 1 through 6, uh, the author of Hebrews says, Therefore, holy brothers who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and high priest whom we confess. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, though. Just as the builder of the house has greater honor than the house itself. So Jesus is the builder, not just the house. Okay? For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in God's house, but Jesus was faithful as a son over God's house. And we are his house if we hold on to our courage in the hope of which we boast. So Jesus is superior to the Old Testament prophets in two very significant ways. First, he's the substance of the Old Testament prophecies. Jesus is that which, that about which the Old Testament prophecies were written. To put it another way, everything in the Old Testament points to Jesus. Okay? And everything in the Old Testament is written about Jesus and looks forward to his coming and the promise of his coming. And second, Jesus is the source of all the Old Testament prophecies. So not only, are all the old, not only is the entire Old Testament written about the coming of Christ, but it is written by Christ, putting his words into the mouths of the prophets. Okay? And so it is important to see that Jesus is not just another prophet. He is the prophet. He is the source of all revelation of God, and he is the revelation of God. And we looked at this a couple weeks ago. The Word became flesh. Jesus became flesh. God came and made his dwelling among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Okay. Second, how did Jesus fulfill the role of priest? We're going to look at a couple passages, one in Hebrews 7 and one in Hebrews 9. The entire section from Hebrews 5 to Hebrews 10 is about how Jesus fulfills the role of the priest. And we don't have near enough time to go into all this today. But if you have time, I encourage you to read it this week and kind of meditate on it because it's a great uh, kind of uh, testament to, to how Jesus fulfills uh, the role of the priest and how he meets our needs. And it actually looks back early in, in chapter 7 to Melchizedek, who we talked about about a year, a little over a year ago, um, as a typology of Christ. And now here we are, we're looking back and we're saying, Christ, that was a typology of Christ, and he lives forever. Okay? Um, so the former priests were many in number because they were prevented from, by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, Jesus is able to save to the uttermost, to the full extent, those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus meets our need. Okay? Jesus fulfills the deficiencies of the old covenant and meets what we need as sinners he is holy, blameless, and pure, and set apart. Um, he doesn't have to offer sacrifices day by day. Right? He offers the once for all, the continual atonement. Okay? And so, so what that means, he offered a sacrifice for our sins once for all. Under the old covenant, if you walked in and made a sacrifice for a sin, and then you walked out and sinned, you had to turn around and walk right back. right? And since we're always sinning, to really fulfill the Old Covenant, you had to live in the temple and consist constantly. And even then, you couldn't do it because you couldn't offer enough sacrifices to keep up with your sin. 
right? And so, so there's this intermittent sacrifice that provides the model. Again, Christ offers once for all. And so before I sin, my sin has been atoned for, right? So when, as soon as I sin, I've got forgiveness, right? And so once for all, I can enter into the throne with confidence. I can come before God confidently knowing that my sin is forgiven and knowing that I no longer have to worry about offering these sacrifices to atone for my sin. And I no longer have to worry about my sin, right? And this is something that kind of takes time in the Christian life as we kind of grow. Um, I know that like early in our Christian life, um, you know, you kind of, when you fall into sin and you do something that's, that's wrong, sometimes it takes weeks or months to confess and to get it out and to accept forgiveness from God. And you kind of beat yourself up and you feel guilty and you feel that sense of despair weighing down on you. Right? But as you grow in Christ, you begin to see the beauty of this continual uh, propitiation, atonement for our sins. And then you begin to accept his forgiveness quicker and quicker. The point where, hopefully, we get to a point where we just accept God's forgiveness permanently. And we come and confess our sins immediately and continually and accept that forgiveness and live in the grace of God and live in that state of, of atonement okay, and forgiveness. So, um, and then, so the other two here, he's been made perfect forever and he rose again and lives forever. Um, they're kind of the same thing, but the key is we don't ever have to worry, right? Because nothing is ever going to defeat Christ. Um, and he lives with God and is continually praying for us. Right? He's continually making specific requests before God for us. He makes intercession for us. And then the second passage here, Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are the copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood. Not his own, for then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Jesus offers the perfect and final sacrifice, his own body. He rose from the dead and enters into the presence of God and continually brings us into God's presence. And Jesus is alive and continually prays for us and intercedes on our behalf. I just want to emphasize again the beauty of the fact that we can enter into the presence of God. Because under the old covenant, from the time of Adam until the time of Christ, we could not. Right? We could not enter into God's presence um, because we were sinful and we would die. Okay? Um, and But we can enter into God's presence continually and live in God's presence because Christ lives in us. Um, and as Christians, that's, the, that's our motivation. That's our goal. That's, where, that's what we want, right? It's that continual life in Christ. Um, and then he prays for us. And I want to just, even when we don't know what to pray for, Christ is in heaven praying for us. Okay, and making intercession for us and praying for the forgiveness of our sins. How does Jesus fulfill the role of king? Sorry. Um, let us fix our eyes. This is from Hebrews 12. So uh, 
Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Um, Jesus came as the king of his people. Um, so we're going to look back at a few other passages. But let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. In fact, Paul says in another place, he didn't just scorn their shame, Jesus shamed the world on the cross. Right? Um, and so, so not only did he scorn the shame, not only did he not take that shame on himself or bear that shame, but his very action of being on the cross brought shame to the world. Okay, and to the people who were crucifying him. Okay, um, so just a few background here in Matthew. And again, if I had time to go through the whole book of Matthew, we could go through the whole book of Matthew and look at what the kingdom of God is. Okay, because Matthew is all about what God's kingdom is. All right, um, it just hits again and again. Um, but from the very beginning, he says, "Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews?" Jesus came as the King. The Messiah. He was the, the son of, of, of Joseph, the descendant of David, okay, um, to fulfill the office of the king. And the crowds went ahead of him, and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. This is as he's entering Jerusalem, the triumphal entry, Palm Sunday, about a week before he's crucified. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. So he came as a king, and he accepted that title. He didn't say, no, 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 no don't call me king. You know, um, but... He did say, my kingdom is not of this world. So I think it's important to recognize, so, uh, so Jesus came as the king, but he did not come as the earthly king with the geographically described kingdom. Okay? He came as the kingdom of his people. My kingdom is not of this world, because if it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. Jesus' kingdom is not a physical place. It's not Jerusalem or Israel. It is the church, and it is the body of believers. Okay? The kingdom of God is his people, those who put their faith in him. Okay? So he came as a king to his people, right? to the remnant of the covenant. Okay? To those who had put their faith in him, he came as the king. And that's us. Right? He came as our king. Okay, to lead us into his kingdom. Okay. And he didn't seek his own glory in this, but submitted to the Father's wishes and was exalted to the highest place. So Christ, Jesus didn't come seeking his own glory. He didn't come seeking his own kingdom. He came as a servant to die and was rewarded with a kingdom of believers seeking his will. He made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue that confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Fourth, he rose from the grave, defeated death, and now reigns over everything. The power is like a working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed under his feet 
all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Jesus reigns over everything in the world. All the rulers, authorities, forces of the world. He came as a king and was exalted to the highest place. God gave him a name that's above every name. He reigns above everything. He defeated death. Okay. And we are his kingdom, forcefully advancing his vision, God's vision for the way that the world is meant to be. Okay. So we go out and we fight for justice, for reconciliation. We proclaim his gospel. Right. We do all these things as co-heirs with Christ because we reign with him over the world. We have power over the spirits and authorities and dark forces of the world. And so we go out and we reign with him and we fight with him for the advancement of his kingdom. And he says, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. So we will win the, vic- the final victory eventually. And we're going to talk about next week the, res- or the, the return of Christ. And we're going to see the beauty of that final victory um, when all things will be brought under the feet of Jesus and every knee will bow and every tongue confess. But for now, we live in a place where we fully experience that kingdom and we fight for its advancement. Okay. All right. So here's what we've seen so far. So we got to this place um, where where God had instituted these offices. Um, <laughs> so, sorry. Um, so Jesus <laughs> fills all of these roles. Okay? So Jesus is the prophet. Jesus is the priest. Jesus is the king. And he's also God. So let's not forget that he is God. Right. And so God is the prophet now. And so we interact directly with God. It gets rid of the middleman in all three of these offices. So that we're directly reigned by God. We're, we directly worship God and we directly hear the revelation and voice of God. OK, and then I want to just point out that. Um, so. In Exodus, when God was giving his promises before, you know, most of this covenant had been given. He said, now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you to speak to the Israelites. Okay. And I propose that Jesus came and did that. And we are now that kingdom of priests and that holy nation. Because Revelation says, to him who loves us and has already freed us from our sins by his blood and has already made us into a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To be, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Okay. We are and we fulfill these roles of prophet, priest, and king. Okay. So it's not just Jesus that fills these offices, but what he does is he restores us to our rightful place. Okay. He restores us the way that things were meant to be. If you remember back to the original diagram, where we can interact directly with God. Right? And so we are restored to the place where we are the prophets speaking God's truth. Okay? We are the priests praying for people 
and offering praise and sacrifice. And we are the kings reigning with Christ over creation, stewarding his creation, and reigning over his kingdom. Okay? And so we fill these roles uh, in front of the world. Okay? All right. So, um, how do we fulfill our roles as prophets? Go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. It's pretty simple. Okay? That's, that's the foremost way that we fulfill our role as prophets. We go out and we preach the good news. Okay? However, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Christ lives in me. So here's the other way in which we are prophets, in which we proclaim the revelation of God. We live it. Okay? Christ lives in us, and he shines through us. So the, the more that we are seeking God, and the more that we are filled with him, the more his light shines out before all men, before the community, before the world, and Christ is revealed in us. So we go out and we proclaim loudly the gospel, and we go out and God's light shines through us, and we are the revelation of Christ to the world. And back to Hebrews, he says, See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end of the confidence that we had at first. So here's the third way that we fulfill our role as prophets. We encourage a body of believers, and we speak God's word. We speak God's word to other believers. We encourage each other. We hold each other up, um, and 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 keep each other from being hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Uh, so, how do we fulfill our role as priests? Hebrews uh, chapter ten. Um, and this is, you know, one of the things I really like about Hebrews as I read it. Just kind of a side note is the author of Hebrews just kind of like comes forward and back, forward and back, cycling around between here's some theology and here's some, some application, you know. And so, so here's some encouragement. And it's not like a direct linear, which is awesome too, you know, like Romans, but it's like this kind of like continual, like coming back to the same truths over and over and over again. So Hebrews 10, he says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, opened for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. Let us draw near to God. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. We come before God with confidence. We hold to the hope in faith. Um, and we consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. We meet together. We worship God. We pray to God. These are all functions of us as priests. 
and worshiping God directly. We pray. Pray that the heart, the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. We pray for non-believers. Right? We pray for the people, our neighbors. We pray for our community. Um, and we, we intercede for them before God. We offer a sacrifice of praise. How do we fulfill our roles as priests? We offer sacrifices. And what's the sacrifice that we offer? What's the sacrifice that God asks for us? Right. Christ says in, in Matthew, he says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself. So the sacrifice is you, right? And take up his cross and follow me. So what he asks us is to sacrifice all of our desires, right? All of our earthly desires, everything that we are, so that we can seek him wholeheartedly. And he says, therefore, in Romans 12, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Give up your physical desires and offer them to me. Holy and pleasing to God, this is your spiritual act of worship. What does that mean? It means do not conform any longer to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So as we seek God, we offer a sacrifice of ourselves. And then we live by faith. Um, I don't have time to read all of Hebrews 11. I hope that you do um, at some point, maybe this week. But Hebrews 11 is a list of people. It says, by faith, Abraham followed God into the promised land. By faith, Abraham offered up Isaac. Um, By faith, by faith, by faith. And everything that's done by faith is an action in Hebrews 11. Okay? Everything that's done by faith, it's not by faith, Abraham believed God, you know, um, or by faith, Abraham, I don't know, said something. But it's, it's, it's hard for me even to think of an example because in our own lives, we often separate faith from action. And we say faith is, you know, I believe. And so if I say I believe, then I do, right? But God is clear. In Hebrews 11, it's clear that faith is action, right? Faith is not, faith is not just something we say. Faith is something we do, right? And so, so it's something that we go out and do. And so as we're going out in our daily lives, especially in this community, um, I mean, especially anywhere, it doesn't matter. Um, but as we go out in this community, we seek to see God's kingdom brought, and we do it by faith. And by faith, we give up everything that we are and everything that we have to pursue that vision of his kingdom. And then Hebrews 12 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, these people who have shown us what faith looks like, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let our let us... Let us fix our eyes upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for joy set before him, and we've just read this, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Let us fix our eyes upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. So how do we have faith? We don't just have faith because we think that we want to see Detroit be a community, a wealthy community, right? We don't just have faith because we think that it would be good for, you know, poor people to have money or for people to have health care in our community or, or any of those things. We have faith because 
Christ died for us, and we have faith in the ultimate restoration of all things through his life. Okay. And so, so as we seek the restoration of things, we seek true restoration. Okay. And so we're seeking true spiritual and physical transformation in our community. We seek true spiritual and physical restoration. Not just, uh, not just words and not just the physical, you know, things that we see. Okay. So, um, and then I, you know, I just mentioned this in, in Matthew. Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? So I want us to see this. As followers of Christ, we are asked to give up ourselves. Faith is expressed as the total denial of our own desires and seeking God's will in our lives and in our community and doing things that are in accordance with that will. And, and we have this full reliance of, on God. Okay? God says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And then this, the, the next part of that is, trust me. Don't worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to wear. Because I'll provide for you. If you step out in faith and act, I'll provide for those needs. Okay? Okay. Hebrews 12, again. You have not come to a mountain that, cannot, that can be touched, then that is burning with fire to darkness, gloom, and storm. So, you haven't come to the, the, the place where the old covenant was given. Right, you haven't come to the place where God is on the mountain, but you have come to Mount Zion, the holy, heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. That's where we reside now. Amen. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly to the church of the firstborn. That's where we are, right? Whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and the sprinkling of blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. So I think the first and most important thing about the idea of ruling with Christ is submission to his will. We come and we worship him in reverence and awe because of what he's done. I'm going to skip that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Sorry. I just uh, made a few last-minute adjustments as I was. Uh, all right. So. All right. I'm sorry. I just... So how do we reign with Christ? Um, and I think this is an important question to answer um, because it's an important role we fill as, as members of the body of Christ. Um, and in particular, we as a body here, MacAv, you know, are seeking to see Christ honored. Um, we're seeking to bring honor and attention to God through the power of the Holy Spirit here in our community. Um, and, and we're seeking to bring honor and attention to him as the ruler of, of his kingdom, as the ruler over all the earth. And so to answer the question, how do we rule, how do we fulfill that role, is important. Um, and, 
my temptation, my, my inclination, is always to just say, well, to kind of harp on, uh, you know, the wealthy in our society um, and to look only at economic inequality. And so I want to kind of avoid that. I could stand and say, um, you know, I could stand and point to the places in Matthew where Jesus, you know, says, uh, you know, if you don't feed the hungry and, and, and do all these things, you're not going to be in the kingdom of heaven. I could, you know, in Matthew 25, um, or I could look at uh, the parable of the talents. Um, but I think um, when, when Jesus said, and the reason that I could do that is that I think that when Jesus said to the rich man, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven, he meant it. And the reason is that it's hard when you have a lot of worldly things and worldly success to give worldly things up, right? If you have more worldly things to give up, it's harder to do, okay? Um, and so that's what he meant when he said it. Um, that doesn't mean it's impossible, right? Because with God, all things are possible, all right? Um, but I think what's important, and Jesus is clear as he goes forward and gives his teachings, especially in Matthew 25 in the parable of the talents, where he says, you know, the master, Jesus goes away, and, and gives one, one servant five talents, a certain amount of resources, and another two and another one. And he comes back and says, well, how did you invest my talents? And it's kind of a metaphor for what we're going to face, you know, when we're done with our lives and, and we come before Christ. And he's going to say, what did you give, do with what I gave you? Okay, did you invest it in the kingdom? Did you invest it in advancing my word? Or did you spend it on yourself? And so to the, to the one who was given one talent who, who invested it in himself and didn't have anything to show for the kingdom, he says, throw them outside where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. But to the one who was given five talents who, who did invest in the kingdom and received it back, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Okay? And I think this is the, the motivating factor for, for me personally. This is one of the major motivations is that desire to be at the end of my life and have Jesus look at me and say, well done, good and faithful servant. With the talents that I've given you, you've invested wisely, and you have come uh, and advanced my kingdom um, as much as you were able. Um, so, um, at MacGav, the way that we kind of think of our role as rulers um, is we seek to see communities transformed physically and spiritually, starting with our own. Okay, And I think that the starting with our own is important because we are called first and foremost to look to the good of the believers, to those of our local body. Okay, um, Acts 2, which I don't have up here, provides a beautiful picture of this. So I'm just going to read it. Um, we read a little bit of it yesterday, or I mean last week. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Um, I think that's a, a beautiful picture of what the church should look like, um, not just for the first few days or weeks or months or years of the church, but today, everyone sharing with the others as they had need, meeting together, worshiping God together. I think this is an important thing that we as a church leave out. Um, and, 
And so I think that we need to think through, like, what does that mean in our body? Um, what does that mean as we, as we come together as a body of some people who have same means and some people who don't? Um, and how do, we, how do we work that out? And, and I want us to see it not just as a physical, physical need, okay? It's not just about money, right? We come, some people who have a lot of spiritual need or emotional need who are broken, who need counseling, who need, and there's a lot of resources that we have. Some people are good at teaching, and some are, are, are prophets. Some are, uh, you know, have money. Some have skills, talents. And how are we investing all of those things? Some people just have time. And how are you investing your time? You know, if you're not working now, how are you investing your time? Okay, every minute, right? Because every minute is given to us as a gift from God. So how are we investing it? Okay, Um, in the same way, um, those who have money, how how are you investing your money? Okay, are you investing it in, you know, stocks and bonds and saving it up for retirement so that you can personally benefit? Or are you investing it in the community of God so that we can uh, we can see the expansion of this kingdom and, and things done here um, in our community. Um, and so I think in this, one of the other things that we see is that unity is important um, in the body of Christ. Um, Jesus says in John 17, May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me um, and have loved them. Okay, so, so the way that people know um, that, that we, are, we belong to Christ is the unity of body of believers. Okay, so as we seek to rule, we seek unity, we seek peace, um, and, and so we, seek, we talk about three things um, as believers who reign in this community, um, uh, and, and they're you know, not all-inclusive, but we talk about uh, reconciliation, redistribution, and, and relocation. Um, so, um, so I want to just kind of kind of talk about those uh, briefly um, and and how we reign in our community. Um, redistribution. I think I've already kind of talked about that, holding everything in common. It's not just about redistribution of money, but it's about redistribution of of resources, time, talents, you know, whatever we have. Okay. Second thing is relocation, and again. Um, for those of you who have been around, we, we've preached the message of relocation to the, to the uh, abandoned places of the empire uh, for a long time. Um, and Hebrews 13 actually has a word about this. Um, if I could read it real quick. Um, in uh, verse 13, Hebrews 13, 13. Um, well, I'll, I'll start at... Uh, Started 11. The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside of the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For we here do not have an enduring city, but we are looking forward to the city that is to come. Um, and so we relocate ourselves emotionally and spiritually to the to the outside the camp. We separate ourselves from the world and we say, I'm not going to seek what the world seeks. Okay? I'm not going to seek money and influence. I'm not going to seek uh, you know, uh, sexual pleasure outside of the confines of marriage. I'm not going to seek all these things that the world tells me to seek um, because I have relocated myself to the place where Christ is, which is outside of the world. 
okay, outside of, and when I say the world, I want us to say not like the physical place, because obviously we're still here, right, but outside of the, the, the mental construct and the system of thought that is the world, um, which says seek your own good, seek what you can get, take yours and go, okay. Um, and uh, I want to make sure that we don't just, we don't just harp on people and say you need to move into this community, Right, but we also need to say you should not move out of this community, right? Because the mentality in our community here is get yours and get out, right? I mean, I mean that's that's the mentality. Um, but we see um, that that we want we want people to stay and pour into uh, to other people, and we want to see the restoration of our community. Um, and the only way we can do that is if if we have believers who are who are pouring into our community, right? Um, and so then the last piece, which is, is reconciliation, um, and I think there's a couple of important points here um, that I want us to see. And, and we are reconciled to God, right? And, and as rulers, we want to see everything reconciled to him. And the goal, like I said, you know, we're, we're seeking the heavenly kingdom, and that's where we're going, right? And that's, we're going to see the, create, the recreation of heaven and earth and the renewal and restoration of everything, okay, everything, um, and all of creation is going to be back, brought back into harmony with God. Um, and so we're seeking that reconciliation. I think there's a few important points I just want to bring up briefly. One is discipleship. Okay? So Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. And the key here is that we're bringing people back into right relationship with God. So we're seeing the reconciliation of God and men. Okay? Um, let's see. Okay. Um, and then the second piece, um, is, is forgiveness. Okay. And so we seek, uh, to be a people who forgive and who are forgiven. Um, and, and I think it's really important as we, we go about our lives to be quick to forgive. Um, because Jesus says, if you don't forgive as I have forgiven you, then you're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Right? Because that's also an act of faith, is that we forgive. And so we see the reconciliation of people to people, is particularly within the body of believers, seeing that reconciliation between, between, uh, between people. Um, and then uh, the last piece uh, is, is vulnerability um, in, in, within this reconciliation. We want to come before each other as, as broken people. Um, and and know each other, right? And I think that's really important for the reconciliation of, of each other and reconciliation of ourselves to God, that we know each other and are known by other people. Because when we hide things off, we create divisions, right? Um, and then sin re-enters. So as we close off parts of our lives um, or, or parts, of, parts of ourselves um, from, from other people, then, then we're creating places where sin can flourish and sin can, 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 can happen. Um, and so, I have this in here. This is from Isaiah. Is this not the kind of fasting I've chosen? We're almost done. Okay, so, just, you know. To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke, is it not to share your food with the hungry and provide the poor wanderer with shelter, when you see the naked to clothe him and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Isaiah presents a picture of what the kingdom looks like, um, and he comes back to it again and again uh, throughout the book. Um, and, and this is the kind of sacrifice that Christ has asked us to make. 
um, to, to fight for justice in, in the world, um, and particularly within the body of believers. Um, so I kind of did all that. Okay. So I'm just going to end with a couple of passages um, that, that I think are encouraging as we go out. Okay. The first is from Paul, um, and he says, I consider everything a loss. Everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. I want to know Christ. This is my prayer. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Becoming like him in his death. Giving up myself completely unto death. And so somehow to attain the resurrection of the dead. Resurrection from the dead. When we die to ourselves, we are given new life. So when Jesus said you have to be born again, he meant you have to die and be born again. Right? You have to give up yourself. And then you attain the resurrection from the dead. So we are resurrected beings. Right? We have new life in Christ. We're recreated. We are made new. And so we can go out and do all these things. And this is from the next couple of verses from that Isaiah passage I read. If we do this, if we fight for his justice, if we fight for reconciliation in our community, our light will break forth like the dawn and our healing will quickly appear and righteousness will be, go before us and the glory of the Lord will be our rear guard. We will call and the Lord will answer. We will cry for help and he will say, here am, here am I. And, I don't have it up here, but the, a couple of verses later, you'll be called Restorer of Streets with Dillings. So, um, as we consider all these things, um, I just want you to think through you know, what in your life um, is affected by, you know, what I've said, and hopefully everything to some extent. Um, but I'd like you to just think through, like, what does it mean um, that I reign with Christ? Um, and, and how can I more fully give up myself and seek him with more of what I am? What can I give up in my life? What can I sacrifice for the glory of Christ? Okay. How can I be speaking into the lives of non-believers in our community and into the lives of other people in our community? How can I be seeking to meet needs in our community? Right. And as we come, let's just worship God in fullness um, as we consider these, these things. Um, so uh, the guys are going to come up and uh, do the tithe and offering. Um, obviously, um, Maybe not, obviously. If you're not a member of MACAV, you know, we're happy to have you. Um, and there's no, you know, requirement, obviously, that, well, obviously, no requirement that you give. We're not asking, you know. Um, but if you are a member of MACAV and you understand that tithe is a, a time of worship, um, then please, you know, uh, give your tithe and offering. Um, and I don't think we're, we're not doing communion today, so. Um, so. Uh, we're going to sing a couple songs and do that. Okay?
Yes, sir. Um, Lord, we uh, we thank you for the privilege to to be your prophet, priest, and king in all creation. Lord, giving glory to you. And Lord, we just recognize that even as we as we share our resources and spill ourselves out, Lord, we trust that um, you would use these things to to the ends, uh, which is your glory, God. And we just we say that in trust, and we we worship you, Lord, through our resources and. Um, as David said, whatever those resources may be, God, we trust you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.